Hi, my name is Skipper Chong Warson. I'm a design director in San Francisco. And thanks for tuning in to How This Works. This is a show where I invite people on to talk about subjects that they know extremely well. Nikolai Lipscomb is here to talk to us today about being a chef, something he knows a lot about. So Nikolai, thanks for being here. Thank you. Very excited to, to chat about this. This is exciting. Nikolai, break it down. Who are you? How would you introduce yourself if you were at a party, if that was a thing right now? I'm from, I'm from the peninsula, which is between Santa Cruz and San Francisco, a small town called Loma Mar. So I'm from a very small town and I grew up there. It's a, it's a town of about 103. And then I commuted to, uh, to school in Half Moon Bay. So, And that's in the state of California, just for people who may not be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Grew up in Half Moon Bay. And, you know, that's kind of, I guess, the first 18 years of my life, right? After that, then I, I went to uh, college and studied engineering for a little while. And then I became a chef and did that for about 20 years. Um, I also became a father uh, about five years ago. So that's a big part of who I am. And and I got married about seven years ago. So I'm definitely a, a husband as well. Combination of father, husband, chef. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm also a Taoist. A lot of things. <laughs> so what's something that people may not guess about you? Something that you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty candid, open book type of person. I think the thing that, that a lot of people don't know about me that is, is kind of interesting is um, a lot of motorcyclists share it. A lot of people that jump out of airplanes share it. And it's that we, we don't feel normal like the rest of people because we need to go to a certain extreme. We need kind of, we, we need chaos in our lives and intense chaos to let out uh, endorphins. And so what that creates, that creates like riding a motorcycle really fast makes it makes me feel normal. While it scares other people, you know, it scares me in the second, but afterwards I feel a sense of calm or sense of peace. Um, you know, I meditate and I definitely can get that sense of calm, but it's different. Like there's the, the endorphins aren't there. Like the, the meditation is more of like a mind thing where the endorphins feels like it's more of a body thing. Like you can't, like you can't get enough. And so like being cooped up right now and COVID is tough because I, I, I'm not out there getting stressed. I'm uh feels more safe, which I don't like it makes me feel unsettled. Okay. So that's, that's kind of something that a lot of people don't know. Actually, how I found out about it is I was, I was on my motorcycle in 2005 doing a cross country trip. I did like three months of just riding around and I was at this uh, hostel in Tofino, which is on Vancouver Island. And a, a gal that uh, was staying at the hostel as well, we were, we went and got like a smoothie or something. And we're hanging on the beach and she was telling me um, about skydiving. She was a big skydiver and she's kind of the one that, you know, when, you know, when somebody's talking to you and they, they tell you something and it's like, whoa, you just gave me insight about myself. I, I'd never been able to explain it. And so she's kind of the one that, that explained it to me. And she, she said, you know, most likely you have what a lot of skydivers have, a lot of what a lot of people have. And it made a, it made a lot of sense. And so the next day when I was going down to Victoria, which was south in Nanaimo, there's a, a bridge you can bungee jump off of. She told me that bungee jumping actually releases more endorphins because you see the ground coming at you. So it scares you more than skydiving. Okay. So she's like, yeah, you should try it. You should try bungee jumping and see what it does for you. I did it. And, you know, when, they're, when you're standing up there, you're looking down and they're like, do you want to go in the water or not? Put me in the water. <laughs> and so I did it. And, oh, man, I rode my motorcycle slow, which isn't something like 
in my nature. Like I get on it and I, I just jam. And I remember like, it was like a half hour riding afterwards. And I'm just like, I'm going slower than the speed limit. And then I kind of, it's like, whoa, this is the most I've ever felt at peace. Like I feel so good. And it was true. I got, you know, the, I guess the endorphin high Yeah, and it just felt felt so incredible. Um, and I haven't done it since I I want to definitely do it again, but yeah. So I have so many questions and you know, we generally have been in some version of quarantine for the last eight or nine months. What have you found while you're in this state that achieves some of that, that you have found before by jump bungee jumping or motorcycle riding or, or things like that? Sadly, I haven't. No. Yeah. It's, it's a struggle. It's a big struggle for someone like me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's why I like being a chef. It's, if you look at like a lot of what I do and how I tick, it's, it's kind of like throw me into the fire and I, I feel good. It's weird. Like a room can erupt at restaurants. They're, they always get chaotic. Like restaurants are like in a constant state of chaos. So like as a chef, big part of what you're doing is always putting them back in order Yeah. and assuring people that everything will be okay. And so the crazier things get, the more I feel normal, the more I just, my, my, like, my focus, I get more focused. I mean, you're moving fast and you're thinking really, really fast, but that stress and pressure makes me feel better because my, my mind can focus on one thing and focus intensely on it. And it, and it kind of goes back to that, that same thing. Like I, I need that, yeah. that intensity. So let's actually get into that. Nikolai, what is the thing that we had planned to talk about today? What is that thing that you consider yourself very well-versed? Definitely being a chef. Absolutely. And restaurants as, as a whole. I know, I know restaurants in and out because I've been so deeply entrenched in them and passionate about them, which I'm sure you've like, you've heard things like, you know, as a designer, I'm sure you've heard like how our brains, they work so much better when you engage creativity and, and you're interested in them. I've always been interested in them, but I've always loved it. That's great. Nikolai, can we rewind not just to your college days when you were studying engineering, and I don't remember exactly how you described it, but this notion of cooking in general and eventually this idea of becoming Mm -hmm. a chef. Can you talk a little bit about how you discovered cooking? What was inspiring about it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So cooking I discovered when I was probably about seven or eight. Do you remember Ego Waffles? and how popular they were then and how much they advertised them. Yeah. Well, my, my mom wouldn't buy Ego waffles because she knew they were made of junk. <laughs> They're terrible. They're absolutely they terrible. They're made of junk. Oh, I mean, a lot of packaged food is, right? Yes. My, my mom definitely was on the – it's funny because back then it was like she was super strict, but you look at it nowadays and you're like, man, she was dead on with what she was, what she was doing. <laughs> and – um you know, as a kid, you're like, I'm never going to do this with my kids. And now it's like, I'm even more strict. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I wanted Ego waffles. So I would make waffles and we would have 20, 30 waffles all around my kitchen, cooling okay. on chopsticks, on cookie racks, on anything. Cause you had to cool the bottom, right? So you had to have them yeah. a little bit high. And my mom would come in and just be like, what are you doing? I was like seven or eight. <laughs> And I'd be making my own Eagle waffles and I would wrap them up and I'd freeze them. And then throughout the week, I would pop them in the toaster and have some waffles in the morning before school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that when I started cooking and it was, it was like, I just wanted them so bad. And so when I was in college, you know, fast forward, I guess, you know, 11, 12 years, I was, uh, I've always, I've always like, I hate working on things that don't have a purpose. Mm. And so when you're in college, it's like, 
what degree for what career? You know, that's like the big question. Yes. And you don't a, think outside A plus of B equals career. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, so I never thought of being a chef. It wasn't even on the table. Um, it was like, okay, you know, I went to school for, for finance because I, I really, you know, I was always good with money. So it was like, okay, finance. Yeah. And then I started doing that. I was like, this is awful. This, I don't like this. Okay. And then I, I took, I didn't switch majors, but I tried psychology and I was like, ah, oh, I loved it. And then mm. I asked the teacher what kind of jobs I could get. And he told me, and I was like, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the, the subject, but the kind of careers you could get was just not for me. Yeah. And then, um, I started engineering because I loved math, um, I loved building things. And I talked to, I was waiting tables at the time and I, I talked to, uh, a guy that was probably like in his seventies or eighties and probably retired for 20, 30 years by that point. And he was telling me about electrical engineering and I like, was like, Oh, that's the perfect career. That sounds great. Okay. So I, I changed my major. I spent a year in doing engineering classes, you know, I was in like Calc three and, and computer programming class came about and I hated it. Oh. Like just hated it. And so I went to, um, I found an engineer. I knocked on, on their door and they thought I was there for like an internship. They're like, we don't do internships. I'm like, no, no, no. I just need to know if all this work is worth it. And right. they're like, sure, kid, you can hang out with me. So I went and hung out with them for three days and I found out this isn't for me. It's all on computers now. It's, it's not what the, what the older guy explained to me. Okay. You know, it's, it's changed. And, um, you know, cause he, he just, the older guy described, you know, circuit boards and you know, uh, going out working on them and then when i found out it was more computer based like physically building things yeah it was like more physical but like very you know very technical intricate very technical. and yeah yeah okay and so I, I i really liked that and then when it was computer it was like oh i can't i can't i can't sit there and computer program like i was going nuts i was doing like i think c plus plus yeah and i think i was maybe java them and so i was i was doing kind of the classic whining to mom moment like ah I, what am i gonna do it's like three years i now have engineering classes i don't know if i want to be an engineer and my mom was the one that like she just really wanted me to go to college it was it was funny that <laughs> side story is i was like a i think a sophomore and they're like hey nick if you don't go to college we'll buy you a car uh, and I was so independent at that time that I actually already had college applications filled out. Like it was either sophomore or junior, right? Whenever you're doing that. And okay. I was like, <laughs> awesome. I just got a car. <laughs> <laughs> Something I'm already doing. Yeah, it was, it was great. So they ended up buying me a car and I was like, ha ha. <laughs> you know, I don't think I ever told them that I was already flying. <laughs> and um, so they, you know, they really wanted me to go to college. So it, it, if anybody else would have said it, I probably would have dismissed it. But when mom said, why don't you look into being a chef? He's always liked cooking. Mm. It was, it was like, I mean, the, the memory is so vivid. Like I can tell you the car, I can tell you where I was driving. I can tell you the weather. It was like my, it was like everything, all the visuals just spun in a circle. And then I was like, wow, yes. Okay. Chef. Okay. I'm going to look into that. Okay. And so what I did is I went around, I was going to school in Sacramento. So I went around um, Sacramento and I, I interviewed different chefs and I said, you know, how do you become a chef? And I was 19. One of them 
you know, it's like, Hey, you like beer? Like, yeah, of course I like beer. <laughs> and so he sat me down at the bar and we drank a couple of beers and he broke it down for me. And he's just like, you know, you can, you can go to school and then get a job. You can go get a job or you can be an apprentice and then get a job. Right. And he's like, you know, no matter what you do, you know, you, the, the, if you go to school or be an apprentice, that's just to kind of get you primed to start learning. Okay. And so I, I ended up taking a busing job there. Same restaurant. And, um, same restaurant. Yeah. He, he didn't have a spot in the kitchen. Okay. Uh, but he's like, Hey, if you, if you want. And so I was waiting tables, I was going to school and I was like, yeah, why not? So I started busing there and, um, he would have me come in the kitchen every now and then. And like the first thing he had me do was slice a deli ham. Okay. And I sliced the whole deli ham and I didn't know that there was a wrapper on it. So I had to go through every slice. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> it's like the ribbon on salami, yeah. right? When you, when like you I buy sliced, it. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, the whole ham. <laughs> it's like, oh, you idiot. <laughs> so yeah, so, you know, I was, I was there and I was like, okay, I want to be an apprentice. I don't want to, I don't want to pay for school. You know, I don't, I don't want to go try something again and end up in debt. Okay. You know, I already, I already owe college. So I, uh, I was like, okay, apprenticeship and my aunt who, um, lived in Sacramento and you know, close to her. So she was helping me look and figure this, this, how do you become a chef yeah. thing out? Yeah. She saw a PBS special with a chef named Barbara Lynch on it. And so I, uh, I was like, okay, Barbara Lynch sounds great. I started looking into her and, you know, at the time I thought I didn't know what a good restaurant was mm. at all. Mm. Like you know, looking back, man, crazy ignorant to what a good restaurant was and calling. So what I did is I said, I wanted a, I wanted a job. How do I do it? Yeah. So I started calling Barbara Lynch at, well, I called originally and I said, Hey, you know, I got a hold of her. She was in the kitchen. They transferred me. I said, Hey, when are you free? When's a good time to talk? She said, Tuesdays, I'm, I'm always here, you know, between service. Okay. I said, okay. So and I, that's I, between I like lunch time. service and dinner service. Yeah, okay. right. Between basically like lunch ends, you know, okay. around two and then dinner picks up at five. Okay. So I called her at three o'clock every Tuesday until she'd pick up the phone and she'd be like, hey, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't even say hello. She'd just be like, she just knew it was you. Me. Okay. And I'd be like, hi, chef. Like, is it, you know, is there anything? And after doing that for three months, she's like, I'm going to be in California. Why don't you, uh, why don't you come by? I'll be in Sonoma doing a, um, a demo. There, there was like a documentary made, um, about her. Okay. And so they were showing it at, uh, I think it's like Jack London park or something like that. Okay. And so she was doing a demo outside and I showed up in like a full suit. I'm pretty sure I had like blue hair at the time. <laughs> I think I had an eyebrow ring and like a, you know, the bars in my ear. Okay. And she's just like, who the hell is this kid? <laughs> like, like blue hair suit. Like I sat down and I inter I interviewed her and just like, you know, she, she asked me some questions, but I had so many questions. Right. So I was just like, what books do I need to read? What, you know, what does it mean to become a chef? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm looking into it and there's no degrees for a chef. Like, how do you know when you're a chef? Sure. You know, she answered all these questions. And at the end, she, you know, she's like, look, kid, if you can get to Boston, I'll have a job for you. Okay. So Boston okay. is where she was. Okay. She was in Boston. Okay. Yeah. And so I, uh, I moved back there with, I think 1800 bucks, you know, I bought like a, a futon for a couple hundred bucks and I showed up and she's like, well, sure. You got a job. 
And so I started prepping in the back and grinding it out. And, but, uh, that's, that's kind of where I got my start. And she ended up, uh, the next year winning a James Beard award. So it was like okay. a very intense year, a very important year leading up to one of her biggest moments, which was, you know, winning that James Beard award. Okay. And then, uh, she ended up promoting me a year after to open as her opening sous chef. Um, to her second restaurant, which was just insane. Wow. I did not know what I was doing. I just, I worked like, I just worked and worked and worked to, to kind of make up, but that's what I wanted. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted to learn and that's how you do it. Yeah. You, know, you just get thrown in the fire and your body starts getting the muscle memory, you know, you start learning and the, the, the more intense it is, the quicker you learn it. Sure. It's the 10,000 hours paradigm or some version of it. I don't know that one. What's that one? Oh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in um, Blink, his book Blink. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. I love Blink. Yeah. Okay. So he talks about like 10,000 hours of mastery um, is really what it takes to sort of like be an expert. Um, one, okay. of, one of the examples that he gives is when the Beatles, before they ever released their first record, um, when they were playing in Hamburg, Germany, and they were playing in, you know, CD nightclubs or strip bars, depending on who you talk to. And they would just play sort of around the clock, right? Taking breaks to like nap and uh, like maybe go crash out for a couple hours. But like literally they played for something like, you know, 18, 20 hours a day. Um, and they did this for like a couple of years before they ever got a recording contract or, or any of those things. So like that's one of the examples that he brings up of like someone spending that time of um really uh like doing the work in order to gain the expertise it's awful i, don't, I read that book and i don't remember <laughs> i think it's is it blink or is it his other book uh it was one of malcolm glidewell's books but um yeah yeah well anyway how old were you when you moved to boston i, I think i just turned 21 21 I, okay. I think i was like 21 in a couple months okay so 21, 21 in Sacramento. Okay. Yeah, it was that summer. So you moved to Boston, you're 21, you're there with Barbara Lynch. Uh, the following year, she wins a James Beard Award, which is huge in the culinary world. Um, and then you, op you opened as a sous chef in her second restaurant. How much longer did you stay in Boston? Did you go to Spain right after that or... I, so I spent three years with Barbara and I spent a year at number nine, Okay. a little less than a year at, at B&G Oysters, which was her second restaurant. She opened two, she opened B&G Oysters and Butcher Shop right, right across the street from each other. It was, okay. it was such a cool experience. So number nine, B&G Oysters and Butcher yeah, restaurants Shop. restaurants have changed so much. So just like, and then I went back to number nine because, you know, I, I really craved learning to cook okay. and, you know, I was starting to manage because I was there and I just, I just wanted to cook. So she, she had me come over and I, I worked every station and then close to, uh, finishing up there, I started talking to her about, Hey, what's, what's next? Cause so I was, I was, I got an apprenticeship with her okay. and I was her first apprentice, you know, so like it wasn't just a job. It was like, you know, a lot of, Hey, what should I do next? What should I read? What should I be doing? Some mentoring as well. So it wasn't just like the paycheck and the experience, but it no, was also right. about the guidance. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I didn't know anyone. So I just, I was hundred percent immersed into cooking, um, which is, I mean, what, what you really have to do to be, become good at anything. And so, yeah, so she, she was in a, a European 
well, I don't know if it was European. It started in Europe, uh, but it was um, women's chefs group. Okay. And she was the only American in it. And in that group was like Anne-Sophie Peake and Elena Arzak. And there's some amazing chefs. Okay. And Spain was like, I really wanted to go to Spain. So uh, because she knew Elena, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a letter and then a friend of mine helped me translate it into Spanish. Okay. And, and culturally changed it for mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. because she understood the culture there and you know how to speak to, right. to, to appease, you know getting the uh be respectful and yeah yeah so i wrote in english she she helped me in spanish and so i sent those two letters and so then i got a phone call and you know they they accepted me into their program and they have a they actually are um, paired up with a school so they do a year-long program and so it's free so from from boston that's when i jumped on my motorcycle rode across the country and um you know, did that for three months and then I lived with my brother so I could save money. Okay. And so I just, I just worked and saved and, um, you know, and this is back in California in California. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Northern California. My brother was there then. Okay. And, uh, yeah, saved a bunch of money, shot back there and started cooking. And, um, you know, the, the rent it, here at San Sebastian, which is just, you know, gorgeous city. And it's funny because they go there and like the rent was like, I think it was like 180 for a room. <laughs> so cheap. You know, I was like, how's it so cheap? And um, just traveled on, on the weekends and, you know, they would close for a couple of weeks. So there's there's a lot of traveling. And then uh, afterwards I took three months and traveled. And then while I was there, I, I went and ate at a restaurant called Cellar de Can Roca. Okay. And, you know, it, you're, you're back there working and there's, you know, the, the way a lot of the Spanish restaurants, um, worked then was there'd be a few paid people and the rest would be interns. Oh, interesting. They could do such amazing food. Okay. Um, and so there was just a great community at Arzac. I think we would do 150 covers, which was insane for a three Michelin restaurant to be doing 150 covers in the service. What is a hundred, what is, what does a cover it, mean? A person. Oh, I see. Yeah, we call them covers. Okay. It's like 150 people we fed. Okay. And, and that's that's a lot for a three Michelin uh, restaurant. Okay. And there's 30 of us in the kitchen, though. Wow. So, you know, it's just a good community. You're, it's like, it's almost like being in school or something where there's just so many different people. You know, you get along with a lot of them. Yeah. Some of them are, you know, get along with. Um, it was fun. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. I think I was... I think I was like uh, 25 by then, okay. 25, 26 okay. when I did that. And a lot of them were, you know, younger kids. So I was, I was a little bit older and I had a lot of experience from cooking with, with Barbara. Okay. In between that, I actually opened a, a restaurant in California. So I had experience of, of doing that. And then um, while I was there, I, I ate at Sada Can Roca because the, the chefs were just, you know, it's kind of like there's a buzz. Everybody's talking about restaurants, you know if you're in that world and Salada Can Roca was the place so I went and had a meal there and it blew me away it was the best meal I've ever had wow and so of course I was like okay this is where I want to work and so I uh I ended up traveling for three months and then I get back to uh Spain and I go to Girona where Can Roca is and they just close for a holiday for like I think it was like three weeks you know <laughs> and I'm like are you kidding me <laughs> 
So what do I do? I went and got um, an apartment in Blanes, which is a, a little town on the Mediterranean. And I just hung out for a few more months. <laughs> and, um, you know, I went back and asked for a job. And uh, they're like, yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, you know, this is the busy season. You know, we can pay you then. I was like, okay. So I went, I came back to California Okay. and uh, stayed with my brother again, you know, and, um, and then went back and worked at Canroga. And that was, again, just a unbelievable experience. Okay. Wow. But what's something that you learned in that period of time that not a lot of people know? Like what's something that you experienced um, while you were sort of, you know, going back and forth between finding ways to like save money so you can, uh, you know, live and focus on your work. Um, what's something that somebody, somebody wouldn't know about that. Like specifically on the work or just kind of like the journey. Either or, either or whatever, like either the journey or the work itself. I'm thinking like sacrifice, um, you know, s- sacrifice is, is kind of, you know, why do we sacrifice? We we give up something today so we have something better tomorrow. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the, the reason behind sacrifice. So, you know, you talked about, like, you're someone who needs adrenaline and needs excitement. Mm-hmm. So what's exciting about either cooking in a kitchen like you were in Boston or, or in Spain? Like, what's exciting about that for you? The intensity. I mean, you, you have chefs are intense people. They're, they're so passionate and they so care about, you know, pleasing their guests. And I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a career for the faint of heart. Yeah. It's, it's like the better you want to be, the more intense it gets. Yeah. And so our Zach, I think was like number seven in the world then. Okay. For the Pellegrino. And I think, uh, Roca ended up coming up to number one. Then I worked for Fran Andre, who's, who's number one, I worked at his laboratory and like just the professionalism is, is super high, but I mean, it is a chaotic world. Yeah. So it's like, I think if you, if you come from the business world and you step into like what you'd call a professional kitchen, it would, it would either look chaotic or it would look like, wow, look at what's going on. Like there's 30 people running around and they're all in unison. You know, they're all listening to the commander Yeah. and you know, they're pr- pumping this beautiful food out. Um, but the, the intensity is, is definitely what kind of connects the two that, that adrenaline. And I mean, when I went back to Spain, you know, they, they called the food, not in Spanish, but in, in, in the Basque language, you know, so I had to learn like, what is he saying? How many is that? <laughs> What's that mean? Right. And so it's, you know, and like, and there's, st- and the intensity doesn't stop. You know, it's like, get on board or get the hell out of the way. Yeah. So like that intensity is, is amazing. And it's, you know, it's, it's somewhat addictive. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a hundred percent unique to the restaurants, but it, it definitely is a, a unique environment. Yeah. You know? So how did that experience for you? Like how, what is your relationship to cooking now? You know, you, you know, you take that, you take kind of where we've been going with the intensity and, um, it's hard. Right. And if you, if you continue on that path, it eats you up. Yeah. Right. And so I've seen a lot of, a lot of people kind of in this transition where they want to be a chef, 
um, you know, they've definitely committed years to the, to the craft. And then they get to a point that, uh, they, they start like wanting the next level. Okay. And for some reason, I think people think, you know, the, the higher you go, the, the more life balance you get. It's like, <laughs> it's like, no, right. You know, you don't. And, you know, connecting the two and kind of where, where it is now for me. And I think for a lot of people is, is you, you accept the craziness and you're okay with it okay, or you burn out, right? Like, I can't tell you how many, how many chef names you hear about that, you know, they burn out and they don't do restaurants anymore Yeah, because you kind of have to, you have to be okay with the chaos. It's, it's restaurants are, are chaos and control, right? Like I said that earlier, and when you're racing a clock, so, you know, you do a lunch service and a dinner service and that's what you're doing. You're taking chaos and trying to put into control by a deadline twice a day, every day. Yeah it makes you tick differently. Yeah. It totally makes you tick differently. And when you become okay with that and it doesn't affect you emotionally anymore, that's like the hurdle that I'm trying to explain. Like I've seen people kind of get run over by the bus, if you will, yeah. you know, you have to accept it and you have to learn to cope with it. But like, it, it's not even learning. It's like, it needs to become part of your nature Yeah. or else it will, it will eat you up. Yeah. <laughs> I read an interview recently with uh, David Chang because he just released a book mm-hmm. where he talks about his own experience. And one of the things that he also talks about in the book is his struggle with um, depression. And maybe it's too far by saying mental illness, but like how he how he coped with it. And for years, he just kind of just ground through it. Right. He was just like, no, this is I have to keep working. I have to keep focused. And um, but then, you know, a few years ago when he saw Anthony Bourdain, um, passed away. He was like, yeah, this is, I think I have to tell this part of my story that, and I, and I say all of this, that's lead, leads up to a question for you. You know, you talked about between some of your cooking stints, you would take a break. Um, and some of it wasn't necessarily of your plan, right? That, you know, the restaurant wasn't going to be open or whatever it was, the opportunity wasn't lined up. Was part of taking those breaks for you also about taking a break from the kitchen so you could be fully prepared and present while you were there? 100%. 100%. I think there's only been one time that I've gone job to job and um, it hurt. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because you, you know, you, you immense your, you, you, you like, you dive into this stuff, right? Like, like you got to make it a lifestyle, right? Like your time off, if you're not going to a winery, yeah, right? Like a winery is relaxing. It's great. But when you're in the industry, it's also part of the industry, yeah. right? So you got to make your, your days off, like learning lessons around food. You got to go to the farmer's market and enjoy it. Mm. I mean, you, you don't have to do that for every restaurant, but you know, if you're, if you're trying to make a name for yourself as a chef, yeah. not as a restaurant, it, it needs to be like, it's an all in type of thing. And, and how do you go, go all in if you're just clocking in and out? Like you, you can't, you can't clock in and out. So you, you live this lifestyle. So it's like, okay, I'm going to live this lifestyle so I can get better because it's like, okay, you're going to work 60 hours a week. Yeah. When are you going to have time to visit the farms? Right. Like what people vision is at what chefs do is not what we do. Right. We're, we're not like at the farm planting seeds and, and all that, you know, we might have a house, like I have a house now and I have a garden, Sure, but 
it's not for the restaurant. Like right. I can't, I can't grow for the number of people I serve. There's, right. there's no way you, you have to, you have to work with your farmers. Right. So you have to, you have to incorporate it. You know, it's like the social time needs to be at the farmer's market and you need to enjoy that. You need to sit down and have a meal there. Yeah. If they, you know, if it's that type of farmer's market, uh, meet some people there, get to know the farmers. And it's like, now you're getting, getting like, the social needs that you need you're getting the connections that you need yeah but they're still grounded like in your world yeah so we're recording this episode at the end of november 2020 and we've mentioned a few times you know the notion of what's happening in the world right now with covid19 this is something that has absolutely directly impacted the restaurant industry oh massively is what we're going through right now does it mean the restaurant industry is going to die is this the last gasp of like eating out what does it mean? You know, it might feel like that, but absolutely not. No way. Yeah. No way. Like people are love to get together. It's like, yeah, this is changing the world, but we're still humans and, you know, we're still social creatures. Yeah. We love to eat. You know, we, we crave. It's, I mean, who doesn't have craving for, for food and social? So it, it, it'll come back when, when it's there. Uh, it's going to, it's going to, take some time and it's going to be a struggle. I mean, I think the the sad thing right now is that you see a lot of people that have worked and gained the knowledge are getting out and going into other industries. Mm. Um, and so the people that are staying in it, a lot of them are the ones that are owning and are like kind of stuck. Mm. Um, so they might get burned out who, who knows, but there's going to be, there's definitely going to be like, I, I think there's going to be less like of the, of the knowledge on like how to run a restaurant. I don't think there'll ever be a lack on like how to cook or talent, you know, because talent like that comes from somebody's like desire. Right. And I don't, I don't from think that's a way. Yeah. Passion. Yeah. I mean, learning to cook is, you know, I always say like to be, to be a chef, it's like, if you can't cook, then, you know, you, you really should find a new career. Cause that's, that's like the minimum, like if you don't know how to cook, then, it's the core skill set. It ain't going to work. You know? Right. And so you, you have to build upon all those other things to to operate a kitchen. And then if you want to operate a restaurant, it's even more. And then if you want to, you know, scale and have three or five restaurants, which that's really where, you know, you do have to get to like five restaurants in order to not work so much. I see. So you think that's a little like bit of a sweet spot? Yeah, it's between three and five is kind of the sweet spot where you can s slow down because uh, you know restaurants restaurants make ten percent if they're doing good. Wow! So it's like it's like you know yeah we're a three million dollar restaurant so I should make three hundred thousand right? It's like no, that's <laughs> if you're doing really good and and if you have a three million dollar restaurant, how many investors do you have that are taken from that that pool? So it's, you know, a $3 million restaurant probably costs a pretty penny to open yeah. um, or a lot of equipment or, you know, some kind of investment or you, or you did it right. Yeah. So, yeah. So COVID will change things. Um, I mean, it, it has, um, we're in another set of lockdowns, which is gonna, you know, here in Sacramento, they said the, the current state of lockdowns is going to close 50% of restaurants that aren't backed by chains or corporations. Wow. And, you know, restaurants are the number one employer in California. Oh, I didn't is, know that. Okay. You know, California is one eighth of the United States population and the biggest employer yeah. is like shuddering like crazy. So it's, it's sad. It's super sad. You know, yeah. restaurants are trying to 
do outdoor dining. You yeah. know, they're, they're trying to do models that they're not built for, which means no efficiency, which means you need more labor and labor is kind of what kills a restaurant. So it's just, it's a nasty cycle and it's, you know, the people that are out there fighting it. It's like good, good on them, man. Like fight. Cause this is the time that they, they have to. So w- what are you focused on now in your work? Are you still working in the restaurant trade? Are you looking in other, you know, you talked about a little bit of that brain drain of people leaving the restaurant industry. Are you one of those people mm-hmm. who've moved on? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I decided to kind of pivot a little bit in 2019. Okay. And so this has kind of strengthened that pivot, but it, at the same time, it's um, brought me back a little bit because I, I pivoted away from hospitality Okay. and now I'm kind of marrying the two. So I, uh, I, I want to be in SaaS and, and tech, but in, in, you know, SaaS is like solving an issue, right? So where's my strength in solving issues? Well, in restaurants. Yeah. So if I can, if I can find something that, that marries the two and, you know, I've got different irons and fire and, you know, it's TBD, you know, so I still am consulting, which consulting right now, it's, it's, it's rough. It's strange. You know, it's like, Cause it's like, normally you go in and you're the one that, you know, I'm like, the guy that's going to make you more money. It's like, I make money off of your margins. Right. You know? But now it's like, I just do anything to help you stay open. And it's a lot of sympathy, you know, it's like, I'm an empathetic person, but sympathetic, not, not usually so much, but mm. right now it's, there's a lot of sympathy for what's, what's going on. Yeah. So that's... Before we started recording, you mentioned that um, you actually worked on a line last night. Yeah. Yeah. I worked on the line. How was that? Time. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it was slow, so maybe for a good thing or, you know, maybe not. Um, but I, I mean, working on the line, it's, it's part of my nature. I mean, I can jump on just about any line and, and hang. Um, did it you feel know, like, I did you a, feel like you were very, sort of a good line cook back in the day? Yeah. Did you feel like yeah. you were, um, sort of like stretching muscles that you hadn't used for a while? <laughs> Even if it My was a back. different pace? Oh, you're back. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's like riding a bike. Totally. Okay. What, what's hard is when you don't know the food, you know, and it's uh, like, what goes in? So what is this? But I've been there two weeks or three weeks. So, okay. Yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, I definitely still cook, but I just not so much on the line. I more do events, you know, where it's like cooking whole animals and building fires and serving a lot more people. I, that's, I, my favorite way of cooking nowadays is is like paellas and whole animals. Okay. Where it's just really me feeding a bunch of people, or like uh, my wife loves to help me, and it's you know it's fun to do it with her. Nice. Do your kids get in on it? Uh, they they think they do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, they have like little plastic knives, and they help me cut stuff, and it's yeah, they're super cute. They love cooking. They love food. So I have a my my outlet that I've created for cooking is called Ferdinand's paella. Okay. You know, the Ferdinand the bull. Okay. And so I, I um, do whole animals and paellas through that. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't need much staff to do that. So like my family will help or friends will help. It's, it's, it's funny. Um, I get more professional chefs that like own restaurants wanting to hang out with me and cook paellas. <laughs> and it's like, it's just cracked me up. Cause it's like, man, this is, this is so cool. I get like, the best labor for, for a couple beers, you know? <laughs> like, and it's so fun because it's like, they just hang out, and, you know, and, and they love it because, you know, pie is definitely 
it's not something you see in restaurants, right? Because yeah. it's, it's very much like a, a thing you do for crowds. It takes and a so long time to uh, cook too. It takes about an hour start to finish. Yeah. Um, once the stock hits the rice, it's 20 minutes and okay. then you got to let it set, sit. But um, I mean, where it takes a long time is actually like the day before because the stock is so, so important. Oh. I mean, that's that's where you're getting, you know, most all your flavor. I mean, all the ingredients definitely add to it. Yeah. But um, your, your base and your umami and all that stuff is coming from the stock. Pie is one of my favorite things when I see it on a menu or I see that someone is going to make it like it's always my favorite thing to try just because it's such a wonderful combination of like flavors and textures and like all of the effort that goes into making it I think is truly wonderful. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's like a it's a it's it's such a social dish, right? Like you know, you, you don't make pie in the back and serve it. It's like no, you make it. It's out in the right open near big the crowd. pot. Yeah. You know, they come over, they smell it. I yeah. mean, it's like, you know, my pan's a four-foot pan, so it's like the the amount of it's hard to miss steam that's coming from it. Just like you can be outside and the whole area just smells incredible, you know? It's yeah. just, it's like, uh, I forget what book it was. It was, I was reading something and it was like how you can just, you can just cut some onions up and saute them and literally like people's, people will just like become happier just from the smell <laughs> of onions. Nice. Know? And it's like you see that, you know, people are just so happy when you cook paella and it's like their their faces are it's just it's 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 part of the enjoyment. It's not yeah. just the cooking, you know. It's it is a social thing. And then, you know, there people are of course always drinking wine and you know, everybody has a story about the the best paella they had or yeah. or, you know, it's the first time they've had paella. Yeah. I would love to continue talking about paella and food in general, but I think um, we're coming to the end of our time together sure. and it's right around lunchtime. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to whatever it is that I'm going to have for lunch. But I wonder, Nikolai, if we could close things out um, with a couple of questions. So whether it is in regard to your cooking or other things that you've done in your life, what's one of the most important lessons that you've learned so far? Patience. Mm. You know, in cooking, patience is is a hard lesson. Yeah. Especially when you're, you know, you're starting out and you're, you're trying to get set up and, you know, you want to rush food and food doesn't want to be rushed. Food right. is, is ready when food's ready. Right. So you really have to, you know, learn, learn how to make everything work. But that learning that patience and having it become part of your characters is tough. But then once you start practicing it, you can, definitely see the results of it you know patience with people yeah patience with life patience with a pandemic <laughs> we, all, we all probably need a little bit of patience right now yeah and then uh probably focus i kind of have a mind that doesn't turn off learning focus and you know you learn that through different means meditation and yeah listening to others <laughs> tracking your results you know yeah things like that yeah it sounds like it's two things that you mentioned in your introduction being both a Christian being a Taoist like it sounds like there's some notion of spirituality and and like how you find the patience and the focus that you just talked about those must be other ways by which you access those qualities oh absolutely yeah there's I think it's like a it's it's a it's a forever lesson it's a forever struggle it's a forever yeah you know journey. And, you know, we all have, we all have, uh, our differences and, you know, learning what your, your weaknesses are and your strengths are, 
you know, it can help you along your path and patience and focus really helps me in like organization. I'm not an organized person by nature, mm. but I am one in life because I've learned the tools Yeah, and it helps me achieve results. So now people, it's, it's funny because I think a lot of the things, the ways people view me is like, it's not part of my nature. Mm. Like I'm, I'm extremely shy, mm. but I don't know that I would have guessed that from it. talking to you, but yeah, yeah. no, nobody. And, and so maybe I'm not shy anymore, right. but I'll tell you inside it's, it's still there. Yeah. Um, but I've learned the tools and I've learned how to navigate around it. Like I'm not an organized person. Now I'm, now I'm more organized than most people Sure, because I've, I've practiced it. Yeah. But like, isn't that true for a lot of things? I mean, you know, we, we spend time practicing and we get better. Yeah. I mean, you can't get better at everything, right? No. Like I'm never going to be in the NBA. That's for <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> so Nikolai, where can people find out more about you? Are you online? Do you have something coming up that people should be watching for? Uh, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, I'm on Instagram, but very little nowadays. My websites, I have uh, Mustard Seed Hospitality, which is my consulting company. Okay. I have Ferdinand's Paella, which is my paella company. But yeah, that's, I mean, people can get a hold of me through LinkedIn. Cool. I love chatting with people. I love, you know, love the social aspect of all that stuff and um i love like if anybody has a problem they can email me i love helping people with problems oh that'd be great i wonder if um in the show notes and it doesn't have to be you know your proprietary paella recipe but i wonder if you have a favorite paella recipe you could share with folks who might be interested in making this at home um i have ratios okay um, because the the way you the way the, the best way to cook paella is, is sobre la marcha which means like you kind of figure it out as you go okay so you you get like kind of a base of this is what it takes to make good paella but then the ingredients are found at the farmer's market the ingredients are found at the fish market when okay. you're standing there okay and paella is one of those things like if you're going to cook it once like don't <laughs> like if you're going to cook it 20 times, then yeah, go oh, ahead. Okay. But it's, 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 there's a big learning curve. Like it's constant. I mean, I've been cooking paella for 15, 16 years and I'm now becoming happy with my paella. Like, <laughs> so it's taken you 15 years to become satisfied with your paella. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't sell paella for 12 years. Right. I just started selling it like, oh, wow. three or four years ago. Yeah, I'd only do them for family, friends, and staff. Okay. Um, but but finally, I was like, okay, I'm I'm finally happy with them. And it's funny because the guy that taught me, it's like I call it like when it was when I was in Spain. Uh, my roommate, he's he's from Valencia. Okay. That's where I learned to make paellas from him. He would make it, and I'd just be like, "You're a god of rice. Like, how do you do this?" <laughs> and every time he'd be like, "You should try my dad's. This is nothing." Oh wow! You know, it's, it's funny because it's like I hear that same thing happen to me. Like. This is nothing. You should try Rubens. Like, sure. Jeez. Right. So That's one thing we didn't, and I can't believe we didn't land on it. And I'm thinking about it now as you're talking about this. Like your recipe is not about solid ingredients, like two cups of this and, you know, a pound of this or whatever it is. Really, there's a lot of cooking that is improvisational. You have to, because like it's dependent on what you find at the farmer's market. Like if you're cooking in a restaurant, like what are the things that you're finding out in the open? Like if... It's yeah. not strawberry season. You're not going to put strawberries on the menu, but you might need to have something sweet. You might need to have some sort of berry or fruit or something else. Yeah. Nothing else works like in the same way that a strawberry does. Like a blueberry doesn't work the same way. It's not just like adding the same amount. 
you have to understand yeah. each one of your ingredients. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like coaching, coaching cooks, it's, it's, they, it's like they, you know, a lot of people that work, work for me, they're, they're like, they'll get to a point where, you know, they started asking me questions. They've been asking me questions for months and then eventually they'll come up to me. They'll ask me a question and they'll stop and they'll answer it because they look at my face and they can see the answer. And they're like, <laughs> he says the same thing every time. Right. And it's, well, what do you think? <laughs> You know, and then then they answer me, and I go, "That's that sounds like a good idea." And, they're, and then they're they're looking at me like, because most, most chefs will be like, "It's it's like this," and you know, like this, like this. Right. And then I'll talk them through. Oh, yeah, that sounds that sounds good. Why don't you try that? And then you know, it's it's you start you start uh, empowering people to use what's just naturally inside of them. Yeah. And I mean, like my wife, anybody, anybody that calls me, would be like, "Okay, well, you know, this is how I do it. You know, this is the ratio you need." Cause there, there, there is some information you need to give people, sure. like, you know, pie, it's either three to one, two to one. It takes 20 minutes to cook. Right. You know, there's things that don't change that are more like the science of cooking. Right. But, sure. You know, it's like most things you need a structure and then they're organic. Right. And the structure is kind of the science of food. Yeah. And so once the, the more you understand the science of food and you understand how your palate works, um, you understand the flavors in your mouth. You understand the flavors in your olfactory. Yeah, you can start really messing with with palates and really getting to to know food. And then your palate grows. I mean, food is food is uh it's 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 better with wisdom. Yeah, you know. And so you need that structure, and then you need that organic. And that organic is in people. They just they just don't know it. It's like, yeah. well, taste it. Is it salty? Does it need more salt? It's like, well. What do you think? They right. taste it and they're like, it needs more salt. And you go, yeah, it needs more salt. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Nikolai, thanks for making time today, holding this space and time with me. Really enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. I had a, I had a blast talking. It's, it's fun. You know, next time, hopefully it'll be over a paella and some wine. Yeah, totally. I'd love to take you up on that. As soon as COVID's done, I'll be, I'll be holding more, more events. <laughs> but until then, the yeah. backyard is where I do it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm sure the the backyard is a is a happening place to be right now. Your backyard, anyway. Oh, it is. I got a pit back there. It's, I do it over over wood when I do it at home. Nice. Thank you for making the time to listen today. I hope you learned something from my conversation with Nikolai. I know I did. And we'll talk again soon. six years last night oh really <laughs> i'm consulting yeah i'm consulting right down the road okay um, so it was, it was funny yeah nice well we can it's, we can definitely I mean, talk about we can we can talk about that um okay because uh i think okay well let's get into the nuts and bolts of the episode